I'd like to read two verses tonight. I usually like reading one verse, but tonight, uh, what's before me, I'd like to read two verses, very well-known verses in your Bible. The first one's found in Mark 8 and verse 36. Mark 8 and verse 36. I have two phrases, really. I want to speak on the verses, but I want to uh, lift uh, just three words, really, from each verse that I'm going to read tonight and speak upon that. So Mark 8 and 36, these are the words of the Lord Jesus, and he says here, he says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose, I want you to remember these three words, his own soul, his own soul. And the verse goes on to say, the next verse, Or what shall a man give? in exchange for his soul. So we read there, what shall it profit a man? Gains the whole world and loses his own soul. I don't want me to remember that phrase there. And then if you want to turn over uh, towards uh, further on to the right in your Bible, 1 Peter 2, we're going to read verse 24. 1 Peter 2 and 24 1 Peter 2 and 24 says this. These are the words uh, that Peter has written down. Peter for us, he, he, he pens these words about the Lord Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 24 says this. Who his own self. Remember those three words. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. It's unique there what he says, that there was a death to sins so that we might die to sins. That's, that's all the verses I want to read tonight. I just want to take those two phrases tonight. His own soul, that's you. His own self, that's the Lord Jesus. His own soul, his own self. You say they're similar. And they are. They're almost identical phrases about the Lord Jesus Christ and about any individual in this meeting tonight. And you'd say, you know, the Bible sometimes does take, it takes man and it takes the Lord Jesus and it, it almost, it could say the same thing. Sometimes you might think it's almost as though it's saying the same thing, but they're, they're worlds apart. I'll give you some other examples. There is a man who was supposed to be crucified the day that Jesus Christ was crucified. And his name was Barabbas. And if you said, what does Barabbas mean? It means the son of the father. That's what his name means. The son of the father. And he was supposed to be on the middle cross that day. And instead, the people released him. And guess who they chose instead? The son of the father. You'd say, oh, the same names must be the same person. No, you know as well as I do that they were worlds apart because the son of one father here on earth got to go free. The son of the father went to the cross. Same thing with you. Who here is not the son or daughter of a father tonight? And you'd say, the son of the father, unique, similar phrases. I also think of, of just the animals sometimes that are employed in scripture. And it tells us there that we are like sheep going astray. That's naturally what sheep do. They go astray and we, we've turned everyone to his own way. But then it tells us about the Lord Jesus, that he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep, before her shears is dumb, he opened not his mouth. 
You think the similarities that are seen. The Bible tells me that that day at Calvary, that there were thieves that were crucified there at Calvary. And you know, when they came to arrest the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, you know what he said? He says, why do you come out against me as a thief? You know, those men had robbed material goods and they were being crucified. They probably killed people too. But you know, the greatest robbery ever known to man was when Christ robbed you of your sins. You'd say here, you'd say similar titles, but I want to look at these two tonight. So similar. His own soul and his own self. I just want to speak about that tonight in the gospel because this, this, this idea of his own, it's very popular today, right? Probably very popular. You'd say, uh, uh, someone might say to you, uh, can, I, can I borrow that? You know that it's mine. It's mine. I own it, right? It's mine. You can't have it. We hear people talking today about their own. You say, you can't, it's something, it's possessive, it's mine, it's not for everyone. Some people are very selfish too. I prefer generous people, you know, that, to give away things and that. But you'd say, we like that idea. And here the Bible tells us something that's ours, his own soul, your own soul. And yet tonight we contrast that with his own self or his own body, as the Bible says. And here's your option tonight. Those two titles are what the Bible, from beginning to end, it tells you this. Lose your sin or lose your soul. Because that's what those verses say. What would happen if you were to lose his own soul? Or, the Bible says, here's one who in his own self, right? His own body, he bore our sins, his own self. And so we're left with these two tonight. And so I want to speak about the soul tonight. And I want to speak about it in a number of ways, but I want to talk about first its wonder, and then its worth, and then its work, and then my part of the meeting will be done. It's wonder. It's amazing sometimes. I remember thinking about the soul. We thought about it already, that, that God took dirt. He took dust, and he breathed into it, Genesis 2 tells us, and man became a living soul. A living soul. We were saying he took something that you would say was worthless, dust, and he breathed into it, and man became a living soul. The soul, what all of us have, it has been famously said, you are not a body, you are a soul. You have a body. It's as though you would drive around with a car without an engine. You'd say, no, no, besides Fred Flintstone, none of us would do that, right? You'd say, your car is an engine. It has a body. You, my friend, are a soul. You have a body. And the Bible tells us that that body, it is perishing day by day. But what will you do with your soul? What will you do with the inner man? The Bible asks us. And it says the body is like a tent. One day it's going to come down. Just like this tent will come down one day. And when that happens, will your soul be in heaven or will it be in hell? The Bible asks us that. But here, the wonder of the soul is this is that it comes with things that are built in. Remember when we were kids, we used to get gifts at Christmas. You know what the worst thing at Christmas was? Is when you opened your gift and it said, batteries not included, right? That was by far the worst thing because every other store was closed on December 25th. You'd say, what does the soul come included with? What is built into it? And the Bible tells me this, that built into the soul is eternity. Ecclesiastes 3 says, God has taken eternity and he's placed it in every soul. Every soul here knows there's something after death. Something after I take my last breath. There's something else, heaven or hell. Something else after I die. The Bible tells me that built into every soul is also this. The knowledge of good and evil. What is right and what is wrong. The Bible tells me we know what is true. And it says that we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. 
We would rather believe a lie today than to believe what God says is true. You tell me if that's wrong. And finally, the Bible tells me this, built into every single one of us is the knowledge that there is a God. You say, no, that's not true. I have friends who are atheists. I know this is going to be hard to take in tonight. And you may disagree with me. But if you disagree with me, you disagree with the Bible. The Bible says this. There's not a single person on earth who doesn't believe that there is a God. You say, no, I, I have friends. They say they're atheists. I have friends who say they're vegetarians and eat steak dinners. Every single soul knows there's a God. I had a friend of mine, and he knew a family in Australia, and they, uh, they, were, having, they were having someone stay at their house one night, and they were trying to evangelize them, and they were trying to, they were trying to tell them about the gospel, and he, he, they, he was staying with them, and he, he, he had enough of it, and he said, I'm going upstairs. He was an atheist, and he said, I, I, I've had enough, uh, enough of this talk. I'm, I'm going to bed, and he went upstairs to the room, and, and like a lot of Christians do, they put Bible texts on the wall, and he laid down in the bed there, and he looked at the text on the wall, and the text on the wall he read it it was the lights were out and it just was a kind of you know sometimes the lights go out and you can just make out something on the wall and he read the text on the wall he knew it was from the bible it said revelation 21 there and it said him that is an atheist come and he said wow he said that the that the word of god would even say to atheists to come he goes that's remarkable he goes that, that the word of god would tell atheists even those who say they, they, they can't be a God, for them to actually come and believe. He said, remarkable. And the next morning he went down. He said, I have salvation. He goes, that text on the wall says, him that is an atheist, come. They said, no, it says him that is a thirst, come. And he misread it. <laughs> Sometimes we make mistakes in the Bible. We read it wrong, right? Don't read the Bible wrong tonight. The Bible says whoever. The Bible says atheists, priests, pastors, it says those that are, think they're great and those that are, think they are wretched. The Bible says tonight, don't lose your soul, whatever you do. It doesn't matter how terrible or how great. It doesn't matter what you've done, what church you've attended. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you know or you don't know. It doesn't matter. It says, in fact, this salvation, it doesn't depend on me. It depends on him, his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree. The Bible says, don't lose your soul. Lose your sins. The wonder of a soul, though, all that is built into it, all that is just tremendously there, and to think that it was in Christ Jesus our Lord as well. The fact that there we read about him, we read about his soul, and you'd say, it is remarkable that when we come to the soul of the Lord Jesus, there, it's a soul that brings satisfaction. It's a soul that satisfies your soul, because the Bible tells us that God would see the travail, it's a word that's used for pain, for, for you would say just the, the worst type of suffering, that God would see that, would see the suffering of his soul, and God would be satisfied. You know, tonight, you could be satisfied with the same thing that the God of heaven is satisfied. What is that? Jesus Christ. You could be satisfied with the same person, Jesus Christ. But a soul, the wonder of a soul is this. The wonder of a soul is this, that one day... You're going to die, and you will ask. The Bible says your soul will end up in one of two places. I'm reminded all the time when I talk about that. My, my uncle was a pilot, and he was always used to tell us, 
we would fly with him in a very small airplane. And, and every time we would come in, now he didn't like animals and neither did I, but he would always say, listen, they're going to ask us, when we fly in, they're going to ask us how many souls are on board. He loved, he loved telling us this. And when he would fly in, air traffic control, would, they would say a bunch of Alpha Romeo things, and he would say, they would say, how many souls on board? And if it was Andrew and I or some other people, he would come back, four souls on board. And he loved telling us why they do that. He'd say, you know, he goes, you know, back, back years ago, he goes, they used to fly the soldiers in regular airplanes back home when they died. They would put the coffins in the, the regular airliners that you and I would fly on. And when air traffic control, if it was in Newark, LaGuardia, or JFK, if they would phone those planes, they would say, how many souls are on board? You know, they would come back and they wouldn't give you the number of those that were underneath in coffins. They would only give you the number of people who were still alive and not playing. I, I talk to my audience tonight. I address you and ask you, your soul tonight, there's a wonder connected with it, but there is a worth. There is a worth in your soul. And I say to you, while you are still in the land of the living, would you not take stock in how much it's worth? How much it's worth? You'd say, not the wonder of it, but how much it's worth when, when they come back on those planes and they're gone, their life is over. We say, that body is still there, but the soul is not. The soul is not. That's why air traffic control wants to know how many bodies that have souls are still there. It doesn't want to know how many bodies. I ask you tonight, I want to know, once your life is done, or if the Lord Jesus Christ returns, where will your soul be? Will it be in heaven or hell? Will you lose your sin or will you lose your soul? I look at not only wonder, but the worth. You know, psalmist, the psalmist tells us there, in one of the psalms, in, in I think it's 47 or 49, he says, you know, to, to pay the cost for a soul, he goes, it's, it's tremendous. No man can pay for another man's soul. And then it goes beyond that. It says, no man can actually cover another man's soul. You can't protect it. You can't protect another man's soul. And the Bible says this, the, the redemption of a soul, it costs so much. It's, it's, it's almost, you'd say, it's priceless. If you were to go and you were to search, I think it was an article in one of the medical journals of 2014 that I had read, and it said, because there is such a great need for organ donors and transplants and, and all these necessities that, that people are waiting on lists, it said, if you were to itemize the body out, its worth today would be around $45 million. $45 million for that body. I ask you how you're treating it. I, I, sh I should bring that up tonight. How are you treating that $45 million piece of equipment? That blows our minds. The soul, it doesn't have a price tag. You say, what does that mean? You ever, you ever go to someone's house? You say, how much for that? They say, no, it's not for sale. You say, oh, just give me a number. How much is it worth? They say, you can't, you can't. You look at a father who, 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 for the first time, lifts a child out of a, out of a hospital bed. You'd say, just there, a, a father for the first time, or maybe Matt here, for a father for the fourth time, you'd say, what's the value of that child in your arms? You'd say, you can't put a price on it. No one can. No one does. It would, it would be to immediately disrespect the, the precious part of life that God has given. And the Bible tells us the worth of a soul. It says, what shall a man give? What does it profit if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You recognize that. We preach on that a lot. And just follow me here. The Bible says, what does it profit if you gain the whole world and lost your own soul or his own soul? 
you'd say it's not worth it, Dave. It's not worth it. No one here would disagree with me. It's not worth it. It says there in 1 Peter 2 and 24, his own self bore the sins of this world. Was that worth it? Was it worth it for Christ to give his life? The Bible tells us there in Isaiah 53 that the Lord made his soul an offering for sin, for the sins of the world, an offering for sin. And you'd say, the worth, was it worth it? Sometimes we only know worth by the exchange rate, the exchange rate. We say, what is your hour worth in a day? How much is your hour worth? How much, you'd say, is my time worth? How much are my thoughts worth? We say a penny for your thoughts. That's not true anymore. Your thoughts, you say, how much are they worth? The Bible says, how much for your soul? The Bible tells us, here's the price. It costs God a son. A son for a soul. A son for a soul. And yet we have exchanged that. And we work our whole lives. And some of us are exchanging our, our souls. We're exchanging them for something far less. Far less and much more worthless than God's only begotten son. And the Bible says here, when it comes to this, for the worth. For the worth of a soul, you'd say tremendous. For the work of a soul, my final point tonight. For the work of a soul, the Bible tells me, I've already said it, that God made his soul an offering for sin because my soul was sinful. It, it, it directs them in just equal contrast. But I don't want you to miss this. 1 Peter 2 says this, who his own self, his own self bore our what does it say? Bore our sins. It doesn't say that he bore the consequence of your sins, but he did. It doesn't say that he bore the punishment of your sins, but he did. My first traffic ticket was at the age of 19, and I got three in one day. And I paid for them all on my dad's debit card. Who covered the cost? Who covered the consequence of my sin? You say your father. My first traffic accident happened at 18. I backed into a man's car. You say, who covered that cost? My dad covered that cost. It was the consequences of my actions were covered by him. This happens all the time. All the time are we covering someone else's consequences. How often at work has someone else messed up and you said, don't worry, don't worry. I, just, I say it was me. I'll take the fall. How many times have we had to take the fall for a sibling? You'd say for a coworker. Uh, how many times in relationships do we, we consider that an honor to cover someone else and to do that? But I ask you, you could cover the consequences of wrong. You could maybe, you say, if someone's going to get punished, maybe they're going to serve detention. Maybe they're going to have to do something because they have wronged the law. You'd say, and it doesn't happen anymore because of our justice system. But you say, you could go instead of them. But no man, no man can bear someone else's sins. How do you do that? How do you take sins, the lies that you've said today, the, the evils that are in our hearts? It's only about this man, Jesus Christ, and it says his own self bore our sins, our sins in his own body on the tree. You'd say that the, we think sometimes that we're, we're going to pay for sins, that we're going to try to do our best so that God will, at the end of life, he'll, he'll take that balance. He'll take the good and he'll take the evil and that's just the consequences the sins themselves can't be balanced. How do you know what one sin weighs? One sin would, would be heavy enough to take you down to hell, and yet the Bible says he bore in his own body our sins. 
The Bible says, and when it looks at the work of Calvary there, it's something that is remarkable in that, that it was a death for sin. It was the fact that he died for sins. And because of that, I close with this point. The Bible says that I can die to sin. That's what 1 Peter 2 and 24 says. Because he died to sins. It says that I can die to sin. I think sometimes we get up here and we preach. We preach to an audience of people and they... Th I, I think, it's, uh, I think it's, it's something in your mind that just somehow you can add this to your life. That your life has maybe one vacant slot in it for Jesus Christ. That you filled up nine parking spots and you have one more left over. So why not add Christianity? That's not what the case is. You have a soul tonight. You have a life. It can't be divided up. The offer tonight from the Bible that I announce unto you is that your life is characterized by one thing, sin. And Jesus Christ, he came and his own self bore our sins. The exchange tonight is his life for yours. Not adding him to your life. It's his life or your life. It's one day going before God and offering to God my life or Christ's life. It's leaving this world and either losing your sins or losing your soul. The Bible tells us that about a man in Luke 12. And it says that after he had everything that life could want, the Lord says to him, Thou fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. And then what will you do with all those possessions? You can go to heaven without a lot of things. You can go to heaven without good health. You can go to heaven without a Bible. You can go to heaven without money. You can go to heaven without, you can go to heaven without friends. You can go to heaven without a successful business. But you can't go to heaven without Christ. You can't go to heaven without Christ taking your place at Calvary. And so maybe tonight you've come into this meeting and you believe that Jesus Christ died. But maybe you've never realized that he died instead of you. That he died for your sins. And the verse says there, his own self bore our sins. It's in direct contrast to his own soul and losing it. Losing it tonight. And so the offer from the word of God is something that is mind-boggling. That the same person who breathed life into dirt and made it a living soul. The Bible says that he breathed out at Calvary and went into the dirt of death, the dust of death. It says there that he died so that I could live. And not just live any way I want. It says here that true salvation... True salvation, a sinner who knows that Christ died for their sins, has a life that is dead to sin. That's what 1 Peter 2 and 24 says. So I extend to my audience an invitation to accept Christ as their substitute, as their sacrifice, to take the Son. But someone who takes the Son does not enjoy sin anymore. Someone who takes the Son has no enjoyment of their sins anymore. That is clear from God's word. So I ask you tonight, for not some fake, for not some facsimile, for some not photocopy of salvation, but for the real thing, for the real Son of God, who loved you and gave his life for you, for this man, 
who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, you could have him. Real salvation. Because God's word tells us. The Bible says there, his own word they believed. It tells us that in John 4. When they condemned the Lord Jesus, it says, we have heard it from his own voice. His own mouth has said it. And tonight I've given you words from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it profit a man? If he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I tell you tonight, Jesus Christ gave himself for your soul. You could believe that. And you could be saved from your sins. You could be saved and guaranteed it because the Bible tells us. Great to see so many out this evening. Thanks for being with us. I have one reading tonight in the book of John's Gospel in chapter 3. One reading in the book of John's Gospel in chapter 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's Gospel in chapter 3. And verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now drop down here to verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus is speaking here. Marvel not. Or don't wonder that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell when it's, whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Now Nicodemus asks the question, he says, how do these things be? How can these things be? In verse number 9, <clears throat> and Jesus says to him in verse 10, art thou a master of Israel? And knows all these things. Verse 11, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I had told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe? If I tell you of heavenly things. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We say together, oh, teach me what it means, the value of a soul. I'll teach you what it means, the value of a soul. Listen to the words Christ is speaking about the value of your soul. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So I know that we've done a lot of reading together in the Word of God, but there's one thing that I never want you to forget tonight. 
and it is five words that we read together. You say, well, Matt, you spoke and you read a bunch of verses, but there are five words in, these, in this particular chapter that I never want you to forget. I see some taking notes. Remember these five words. Jesus says to a man who's a religious man. Jesus says to a man who's a good man per societal norms. Jesus says to a man who's a leader, who's a man who knows the word of God or parts of the word of God. And Jesus says this and never forget it. Yea, must be born again. If you're ever going to know that you're going to heaven, a person needs to be born again. You and I were born in our sin. And God's word and Jesus is telling us that we need to be born from above. We need to have a time of conversion, a time when we met Christ, a time in faith when we came to the cross and saw the one who bore in our, his body our sins upon a, on a cross. That's the time, friend, a person is born again. And as it were, Jesus has an interview. He has a meeting with a man named Nicodemus, and God tonight wants a meeting with you. It's interesting that uh, in our little... Uh, stay here. We've uh, been blessed to have food. So we visited with certain folks and had different food. And um, at the places that we visited and they served us meals, I never paid a cent. It was free. At the meals that were brought to our home, uh, in such a blessing as well, uh, I was laughing today with a believer. I said, you're going to have to roll me uh, to preach to the pulpit because we ate so much food tonight. And it was just a blessing to have this free food that's given to our house as Dave and I sat there and enjoyed supper today. But it didn't cost us anything. It was free. And God today, above all those gifts, God today offers a free gift. Sins forgiven. Sins paid for. A home in heaven. Jesus Christ died upon a cross to set you free. And it's a free gift. And God tonight wants, an, uh, wants a meeting with you tonight. There are many meetings that you can uh, be invited to. Uh, you could be invited if you were in my school and you got an invitation to the principal's office. It wouldn't be a meeting that you look forward to. Uh, sometimes we have meetings with our bosses. Sometimes there are individuals that are privileged. I have a friend who met with the President of the United States and uh, having a conversation about sustainability and profitability with, uh, with electric cars. And it was me. He was so excited. He, he still talks about it to this day. It was three years ago. Some people have meetings perhaps with the King of England. Tonight, friend, listen. God wants a meeting with you. The God of heaven wants a meeting with you. And it's a meeting where someone is introduced to scripture. It's a meeting where the Holy Spirit starts to convict a soul. It's a meeting where someone understands that they're a sinner and that they need to come to trust Christ. And it's a meeting today, friend, that you can understand one thing when you were born again, that the gift of salvation was a free transaction. You didn't pay a thing, but the God of heaven paid everything so that you can know that you're going to heaven. There's a man by the name of Justin Sun. He's the CEO of Cryptocurrency. He spent to have a meeting. It was so important with him to have a meeting with Mr. Warren Buffett that he scheduled this out and he paid $4.6 million for a lunch with Mr. Buffett. That meeting was, was so valuable. He was trying to convince one of the most wealthiest men in the world to invest in cryptocurrency. <laughs> and he spent $4.6 million just to have a meeting. Listen, God spent all of heaven to have a meeting with you. And the son went to the place called Calvary. And God the Father looked upon the son. And judgment from heaven rained upon the son. That's why Jesus is speaking. Listen, man, wake up because you must be born again. 
And that's why he's saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, it doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter your pedigree. It doesn't matter your family. It doesn't matter the tree that you come from. You need to be born again if you're ever going to know that you're going to heaven. Harrison and I flying to uh, Washington, we were walking through the airport. This boy's been through uh, hundreds of airports. I mean, really, I don't know, that's an exaggeration. Uh, maybe 20 or 30. I mean, really, we've, we do travel a lot. And as we're walking through the airport, he says to me, uh, we get on the plane, he goes, why don't we just sit in first class? Well, you can't, see. <laughs> Dad doesn't afford first class. <laughs> and we don't have tickets to first class. So we can't. And as we're even walking through the airport, he's saying, hey, there's Thailand, there's Paris. Like, why are we going to Washington? Like, why don't we just get on a plane and you can't because we don't have a ticket to go there. I love the plain analogies. And friend, today, the ticket that you have to go to heaven is Jesus died for you. That's the ticket. The ticket that someone has to go to glory, the ticket that someone can have to know that once they leave time and they leave everything that's comfortable and all the foundations of time that you know and they step into eternity and they're in heaven, it's this. Jesus died for me. And there was a day in my life. Reflect on it. Go back to your personal experience. I'm not too concerned if you know the exact day and the exact time. But you can go back to an experience in your life when for the first time in your, your, your experience, you saw that Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. And you trusted in that finished work. And it was a day when you were born again. You were born from above. That's the teaching here we find in this particular story. So let's just jump right into the story here of Nicodemus, because quite frankly, it's a fascinating story. You would think that uh, we are speaking a message that is for individuals that are down and out, or individuals that are so stooped in sin, or individuals that are so bound to their sins, or, or, or maybe the streets of a certain particular town. And this gospel message is for them. No, listen, it's for them, and it's just for you. Nicodemus was a good man. Nicodemus, I was just <laughs> impressed with this because I've been fasting, but Nicodemus would have fasted two days a week. Very focused person, very disciplined person. He memorized, you guys memorize verses, the younger ones here today, and I memorized as a young boy, Psalm 22, Proverbs 1, John 3. Okay, these are chapters. He memorized books in the Bible. Verse 5. This is Nicodemus. He, he would have been involved in tithing. He was a man who was a religious man. He was a man who was a leader. He was a man, if he walked into this particular uh, uh, setting here, uh, we would have all turned and faced him and said, well, let Nicodemus have the pulpit. Let him speak a little bit. He's a respected man. But that man, regardless of what he came from, regardless of his background, he needed Christ. And it says that he comes at night to meet Christ. And tonight, friend, it's very interesting that we are convened at night and Christ is available to you tonight. You can have a meeting with the God of heaven by coming to trust that Jesus Christ died for your sins. God wants to get your attention tonight. This moment that a sinful man met a sinless person was a, a defining moment in his life. It changed his life. He never forgot it. The day that you meet Christ will change your life. The day that I met Christ on August 19th, 2001, as a 22-year-old, broken, filthy, wretched sinner, that day changed my life. I have never been the same. I don't long for the sins that I once longed for. I am not bound by the sins that I was once bound for because Christ set me free. I'm not perfect. We have flesh. But God wants to come into your life and supernaturally transform your life. And that, friend, is the working of those truths. Ye must be born again. And God gives someone a new birth. Born in sin, and now you have a new birth. And the Holy Spirit indwells that person, and he changes your life. That's what uh, Nicodemus is coming. And Nicodemus is a man 
a leader in society, but needs Christ. But he's a man who's coming as a sinful person to a sinless person. If you're going to know, friend, for sure that you're going to heaven as a sinful person, you need to come to a sinless person. That's the God of heaven. And that's what Nicodemus does. And Nicodemus is searching for an answer. He's searching to know what's beyond. He's searching to know how he can go to heaven. And Jesus tells him very simply, Nicodemus, this man, Nicodemus, you need, if you want to go to heaven, you need to be born again. Younger girl, older girl like tonight, if you want to know you're going to heaven, you need to be born again. Older man, younger man tonight, if you want to know that you're going to heaven, it's not about joining a church or a set of rules. You need to be born again. That's what Jesus said. And that's truth found in Scripture. In Valladolid, Spain, where Christopher Columbus died in 1506, there's a monument in his memory. And uh, that monument says these words. I can't pronounce it right, but it's in Latin. It says this. Ne any plus ultra. Okay? No plus ultra. The words mean this in English. No more beyond. But on that same statue, here's what's interesting. There's a lion on the statue, and the lion is tearing off the word N-E, which means no. Because the Spaniards would have thought that, the, that, the, that they had reached, as it were, the Earth's outer limits. There was no more beyond. And when Christopher Columbus came in, he taught them that there was more beyond. And that lion rips off that word of no, and now it says more beyond. Can I tell you, friend, this? that God came into this world to teach you and I that there's more beyond. Your soul will either spend heaven above or it'll spend hell beneath. That's what the Bible teaches. That's why there's so much passion when we come to teaching those truths that you must be born again. And the Lord Jesus Christ came, as it were, from the heaven above to the earth here as a sinless person, as a spotless person, as a just person. And he died for us, the unjust, that he could make us right in the eyes of God. And the sinless person of Christ died for a sinful person like Nicodemus and died for a sinful person just like you. Doesn't matter how big your sins are, you think they are, or how small you are, God's son died for your sins. And the person of Christ says this to Nicodemus. Jesus himself, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Think of those words because Jesus is not just speaking here to a man, but Jesus here is speaking about a must. Jesus never tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus, perhaps you need to be born again. Or maybe there's a time in your life if you were just born again, things would be right. Jesus says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus must have been shocked. He was. He said, how can I be born do I have to be reborn through my mind? It's un unbelievable that a man, that this, this uh, an, an intellect, a man so intelligent, would actually ask that question. He's shocked that he needs to be born again. I picture him coming to Christ, this man, an expositor of the law. He knew what to do was right. He knew how to live in society and be a good example to people. And Jesus now is telling him, Nicodemus, it doesn't matter about all that stuff you've done. You need to be born again. Fascinating. Nicodemus is wondering, uh, not a question on being Nicodemus here. You need to be born again. Nicodemus doesn't understand it. Can I tell you this? Billy Graham, I love stories of Billy Graham, but uh, Billy Graham says these. I'm going to quote because uh, he used this illustration in speaking about being born again. Uh, but he says these words. I was born on a dairy farm. He said this. How does a black cow eat green grass and produce white milk and yellow butter? I don't understand, he says. He said, if, if I said, because I don't understand, I'll never eat it, you'd say I was crazy. And you would, right? Listen, friend, you might not understand being born again. 
But God's word teaches being born again. And you need to be born from the spirit. You need to be born from above. And that transaction, that defining moment in your life takes place. Listen, from scripture, it takes place the moment someone who is sinful comes to the sinless person on a cross. I've heard many stories in my life of people that are saved. I've heard many stories in my life of people who tell me, I have that ticket to heaven. And perhaps they come from different angles. One story takes five minutes. Another brother's story or sister's story takes an hour and a half. But they all come to the person of Christ. Every single story. And they might not even be able to tell me, I was born again. But that's what happened in their life. (laughs) They had a new birth. They were born of the spirit. John chapter one and verse 13 says these words, not born of blood, nor of will or flesh, nor will of man, but of God. John chapter three and verse eight, the mystery of the new birth. Jesus doesn't explain. He asks Nicodemus. He doesn't even explain. He asks Nicodemus to trust it. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. But Jesus in his grace continues. And Jesus in his grace starts to talk here and have this message with Nicodemus because Nicodemus doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. You know, today in our communication, we really struggle with not understanding what someone's saying. If you took any communication class in college, I took a few, it doesn't show, but I did, I did take a few, but there's always the sender, me, and there's the receiver, always. So I might say something to Dave and say, uh, Dave, uh, please tie your tie. But I have to make sure that he understands what I'm saying. So sometimes you check in as the sender. You say, do you understand what I'm saying? And Dave would say, do you say it for me to adjust my pants? No, I said, you need to tie your tie. And I'd reaffirm, okay? That's communication. Sender, receiver. It's always very fluid. There was a study done in Chicago, University of Chicago study. It said that when people are reading emails, 56, only 56, that's why I don't communicate emails for the most part. It's not as as effective as you think. Only 56% understand the intent versus the same email that was sent out. So if I sent David an email and said, Dave, uh, tie your tie. That's all I said in email. He'd understand it. 56% understand it. If I would have left them a voicemail, 75% would understand it. The voice, just communicating the same exact message. And in both cases, 90%, in both cases, 56% that thought they understood it in emails, uh, 75% heard it on a voicemail and thought they understood it, 90% thought they understood the intent and they did not. Isn't that amazing? Our communication, it's challenged in the world that we live in. We're in a world of texting. Jesus doesn't want to be challenged in the communication. Jesus is speaking a message and he wants to get right to Nicodemus's heart. And God today, friend, wants to get right to your heart. And that's why God is saying through scripture, you need to be born again. And Jesus continues in this speech and he continues talking to Nicodemus. You know, if it was just a man, at one point, that man would have gotten tired and said, Nicodemus, figure it out. God's not that way. He's patient, he's long-suffering, he's forbearing, and he's listening to Nicodemus, and Jesus is seeing Nicodemus' heart filled with all his religious activities and his works to get to heaven. Friend, listen, your works will never get you to heaven. Christ's work will get you to heaven. And Jesus wants to continue talking, and he says, listen, Nicodemus, you know scripture. And verse 14, track with me in John chapter 3 and verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And Jesus is saying, just like in Moses' day, Nicodemus, you know this story. In Moses' day, the people of Israel, bitten by serpents. Friend, listen, you and I have been bitten by sin. The wage of your sin is death. And just like those people, bitten in serpents and bitten by serpents, and they're laying in the desert, they're laying in the wilderness, and they're dying. They need a savior. You need a savior tonight. That's the person of Christ, not me. Not a church, not a tent setting, not Dave, not all the preachers in the world combined could save your soul. God can. 
And that's what he's telling Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you need to meet Christ. You need to be born again. And Nicodemus, you know this story. Uh, you know the story. People are bitten and they're dying. And Moses pleads with God. And God says, Moses, you're going to take a serpent. You can read this in scripture here. In the book of Numbers chapter 21. People are bitten. Moses cries out to God. God, what do I do? God says, place a serpent upon a pole. And everyone who looks, listen to this. Everyone who looks at the serpent will live. Not made it, may, may live. Do you imagine going to people after that and Moses hears the call from God, he puts the serpent on the pole, they raise the pole. I believe that pole was visible to the earth. Well, around there anyway, everyone that was dying. There wasn't a soul that couldn't see it. And you're walking around and you're telling people, listen, Harrison, you're dying and if you just look, you'll live. David, you're dying and you're perishing and if you just look, he's right there. You just turn your eyes and you look, you'll live. Oh, you'd been a fool. You'd say, Matt, you'd be a fool not to look. I wonder if there were people that didn't look and they perished. Those that looked, I know this from scripture, they lived. That's what scripture says. And Jesus is saying, as Moses lifted up the serpent, even so must the son of man be lifted up. One might ask the question, who is the son of man? It's Jesus himself lifted up that whoever, that's you, that's me, believes in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. And he ends with the most triumphant words found in John chapter 3 and verse 16. Words that have saved hundreds of thousands of souls, including my own. For God, Jesus says, so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You know how I understood that verse? Almost 20 years ago now, or 18 or so, I understood it just like this. For God so loved me that he gave his only son just for me. That if I believe in him, I will not perish, but I will have everlasting life. I just took the whosoever out. That's me. I know there's people that hear the gospel and they think, boy, that's nice that Jesus came to die for sinners. It's admirable. It's inspirational. It's unbelievable. But did he die for you? Because listen, you could know that Jesus died for sinners and wake up in torments. You've never come to trust him person that comes to trust him is a person. Never forget these words. Ye must be born again. It's a person that is born in sin, just like you and I. In sin did our mothers conceive us. Wherefore, it's by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So that death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And we're born in sin and we need, as sinners, as people that cannot get to heaven in our sin, we need to be born from above. And Jesus says that. Ye must be born again. Karl Barth, I end, I close. One of the greatest theologians that perhaps ever lived, Karl Barth. He's invited to University of Chicago. It's called University of Chicago Divinity School. And uh, there were all these questions from the audience. Thousands of kids, students. They all want to be pastors or preachers or, or uh, Sunday school teachers or evangelists or missionaries in different countries. And they're all there studying the word of God. And they have this man, Karl, and they're asking him all these questions. And Karl was a little tired, so the dean actually said, uh, are there any more questions? And some raise a hand. Dean said this. I'm going to ask a question on behalf of all the students. And it's just one question for Mr. Barth here. I know he's tired. He's had a long day in travel. And we have one question. And this was his question here. Of all the theological insights you have ever had, which do you consider to be the greatest of all? Of all the theological insights you have ever had, which do you consider to be the greatest of all? This man... For example, wrote over 10,000 pages of expository study of the Word of God. 10,000. I don't know anyone in this room that's done that. And if you have, pardon, but I just don't know. 10,000 is mind-blowing to me. 
This is this type of, this is the caliber of this man. And as the dean asked that question, out of all the theological insights you have ever had, which you consider to be the greatest of all them? All the students sat up in their chairs, and some were holding on, and some had their pens out, like you, you know, and their notes, and they're going to write this stuff down, just trying to grasp every word that he would say. And you know what he did? He smiled and he said this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. <laughs> Isn't that nice? The greatest insight he ever discovered from scripture. Friend, you could know rules in scripture. You could know law in scripture. You could know truths in scripture. But if you miss out on the truth that Jesus loves you and he died on a cross to set you free, you're lost. And that was the insight he discovered. Discover that tonight. You need to be born again. That's a birth from above. And that's a time when you come with eyes of faith and realize that what Jesus did on a cross was just for you. And you trust it for all of eternity. Let's pray.